So today is the second Sunday in Easter, or the second Sunday of Easter. There are actually seven Sundays in the season of Easter, what we know as Easter Tide. Seven Sundays, 50 days between the first Sunday of Easter and Pentecost Sunday. And Easter Tide is one of those liturgical seasons of the Christian calendar that many Christians have sort of forgotten about. Um, the, the Christian society uh, from the past when everything was revolved around Christ and the church had seasons throughout the year and feasts throughout the year. Many of those we've forgotten. Some of them we've begun to rediscover things like the season of Lent which happens prior to Easter or the season of Advent that happens prior to Christmas. Eastertide is, is very similar to Lent. Lent is that 40 days when Christians focus on their spiritual life through penitence. Maybe they give up something or they fast and they pray. Easter is like that in that it is a, uh, Easter tide is like that in that it is a season of spiritual growth and preparation, but it's a slightly different flavor. There, there's less emphasis on penitence and more emphasis on the joy and the wonder that Christ is not in the grave. He's alive. And so there's this expectation that something great is happening. And we hearken back to what Jesus said to his disciples in the 24th chapter of Luke. When he told his disciples, you know, he had rose from the grave and he told his disciples when he met with them, stay here in the city and wait and pray until the Holy Spirit comes. And of course, the Holy Spirit came 50 days later at the festival of Pentecost. So that is the season of Eastertide. I think it'd be a great thing for us to rediscover practicing um, the season of Eastertide. But today I want to read to you from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 24. This is the traditional scripture reading for the first or the second Sunday of Easter. It's the story of Jesus meeting with his disciples and the story of Thomas, who was a doubting Thomas. We're going to actually cut the story into two parts. And we'll cover the Thomas part next Sunday, but today I want to look at the first part of the story, and what did the disciples think when they saw the resurrected Jesus? This comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 24. That Sunday evening, that would have been the first Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the grave. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And we'll talk about Thomas next Sunday. But today, let's look at this other part of the story. One of the key things that happened during that Eastertide, 50 days between Jesus rising and Pentecost, was that Jesus appeared to many people. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5-6, through 6, 
that he, Jesus, was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers all at one time, most of whom were still alive at the time that Paul wrote that. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen by me, as though I was born at the wrong time. I wonder what it was like to see the risen Christ. I mean, I know that we all have the ability to see the risen Christ in different ways, like when a whole church comes together to raise money for pinwheels, or they go out and they are buddies on the Miracle League. But what was it like to see him physically, in bodily form? Maybe that would be something that you could strive for during that season of Eastertide as you're contemplating and you're praying. What was it like? In the 19th verse of chapter 20 of John, it says that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers had crucified Christ and the disciples were afraid that maybe they were coming for them next. You know, even after we've walked with Jesus for a long time and we've seen his miraculous power or we've heard stories of amazing things that have happened, like these disciples who were hearing these stories that Christ had rose from the grave. Some of them had even seen them, but they were still afraid. And we're like that too. No matter how many times we see God's power at work, we can still be afraid from time to time. And so they were hiding behind locked doors, hoping to keep out those things that they were afraid of. And I couldn't help but read that verse and read about those locked doors and think, you know, Christians were never meant to be hiding behind locked doors. Amen? There's too much to do. There's too many people who need to hear about Christ. There's too many people that need to see us living for Christ for us to be hiding behind locked doors. Christians were never meant to be that way. We need to get out and we need to go out and we need to spread the good news. We don't have to worry and be afraid of rejection. We don't have to worry and be afraid of persecution or intimidation or of sicknesses or physical ailments or any kind of tribulation. Because no matter what happens to us, Jesus has already won the victory. Even if we die, we're just going to follow in Christ's footsteps and rise to new life. And let me tell you, that new life is going to be so much better than the life we're living now. We have nothing to fear. We don't have to hide from anything. What a great freedom we can have in Christ. But in that second part of that verse, it says, Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Even though they're hiding behind locked doors, somehow Jesus is able to get there and be with them. Because you can't hide from Jesus. You can't hide from him. There's nowhere you can go that he can't come and be with you. That is the power of God's Son. That is the power of our Lord. He can come, He can find you, and He can save you. And it doesn't matter what you've done that makes you think that Christ would never want to come be with you. He does want to come be with you. And He can come and be with you. Even if it means somehow 
mysteriously and miraculously traveling through locked doors, he can do it. And here's an amazing thing, too. We learned last week that Jesus is the first fruit. That means that he's the example of what we who believe in Christ will experience. He's the example of what all Christians will experience. And Jesus had a new resurrected body. He was not a spirit or a ghost. He was a physical body. We in the new life, the resurrected life, will have a physical body. And perhaps we'll be able to walk through doors like Christ did. If he's the example, then we will be like him. You think the next version of your smartphone is going to be awesome? Wait until you see the human body 2.0. The one that does no longer has any physical ailments, that is no longer hindered by sin. Eyes that are completely open. Ears that are completely open. That's what we have to look forward to. We will be new and improved. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his sides, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Jesus had scars, remember? He could show them the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. But these wounds were not something to be ashamed of or something that disfigured him. These were his greatest badge of honor. These were scars that brought joy to everyone who saw them because they proved that this was not an imposter. This truly was Christ. And his scars showed who he was and what he had done, that he had given himself sacrificially for the world, that he had given himself for his disciples and for us too. And he loved us that much that he was willing to die in that horrible, shameful way so that we could be set free from sin and death. What stories do your scars tell? If we're honest, some of the scars we have tell the story of something stupid we did, Right? If it's a physical scar, maybe it's something stupid that you did that, uh, and you've got the scars that prove it, right? Some of the scars we have are from our emotional. And it could be because we made a bad choice. Maybe everyone was telling us, you shouldn't, that's not the guy for you. Or that's not the girl for you. But you went anyway because you were so in love. And later it turned out that they were true. And you made a bad choice. And they hurt you. Maybe you've experienced a divorce. Maybe you've uh, experienced something else because of a bad choice that you made. But I want to tell you, I hope more of my scars will be from ways that I sacrificed myself for others. Hopefully more of my scars will not be from dumb choices I've made but from honest, good choices driven by God's love that I made. Maybe even ways that I sacrificed. A few weeks ago, a gentleman came from Pakistan to visit our church. His name was Sohal. And he was telling us about uh, a Christian school he leads in Pakistan, which is a country that is 97% Muslim. Christians in Pakistan face great persecution because of their faith. They sometimes will even 
have their lives taken from them because of their faith in Christ. And so Hall said something that really hit me. He said, Chris, love always hurts. He says, when you love like Christ, it's always dangerous because it is, it's a sacrificial kind of love. Look at what Christ did. He loved people unconditionally and perfectly. And it led some of those people to crucify him on the cross. A very painful, painful thing to experience. And sometimes when we love people, it means, love means that you, you have to make yourself vulnerable. You have to give of yourself irregardless of whether the person will receive it in good faith. Sometimes when you love other people, they will take that love and they will use it. They will abuse it. And it will hurt. It might hurt tremendously. The fact that sometimes you love someone and then they die is an example. You know, if you want to protect yourself from ever facing or feeling grief in life when someone dies, just don't ever love anyone because it doesn't hurt. But love, real love, the kind of love God calls us to have and that he has for us means that there's going to be pain. But it is so worth it. Amen? I hope that the scars I bear in eternity will be from the way I loved people. I hope they will be for you too. I know they are for Christ. Again, in verse 21, again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The disciples were not at peace. They were afraid. They were hiding. But what can the world take from you? Jesus has already won. And so he says, peace be with you. And then he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, I always was curious about this passage because I always thought of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. 50 days later, second chapter of Acts. Then I realized the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes in many different ways at many different times and brings different gifts whenever the Spirit comes. In this instance, Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit that gave them the ability to have peace. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that says, yes, maybe the whole world out there just wants to kill you and destroy you. But even so, by my Holy Spirit, you can have peace. And it also was a spirit that gave them the ability to forgive. You see, though, even, Jesus, even though Jesus was risen and he was alive, can you imagine that those disciples were angry? They were angry at the Roman soldiers who arrested him and crucified him. They were angry at the Jewish leaders who were supposed to worship God, but instead murdered the Son of God. Maybe they were even angry that one of their own, Judas, betrayed Jesus and all of them. Maybe they were even angry at themselves for their own actions. 
Because they had all done shameful things. They had all run away. Peter had denied that Jesus was, that he even knew Jesus. Three times. Right after he had boasted to Jesus that he would die for him. You know they were angry at themselves. And Jesus knew they needed to be able to forgive. How does one forgive those kinds of things? How can you forgive yourself when you've really messed up? Only by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is a tremendous privilege that Jesus has bestowed. Think about that. The ability to forgive. One of the great criticisms the Pharisees had of Jesus in his earthly ministry was that he would forgive people's sins. And they said, you can't do that. Only God can forgive people's sins. And there's this great miracle that Jesus did that proved that he had the power to forgive sins, that he was God. Remember that story where the, the friends dug a hole in the roof and lowered the paralytic down right in front of Jesus? And Jesus looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisee says, whoa, 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 you can't do that. You can't forgive a man's sins. Only God can forgive a man's sins. And Jesus said, which is harder? To tell someone their sins are forgiven or to tell them to get up and walk? And he says, but in order that you should know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. I say to this man, get up and walk. And what happened? He did. And here, Jesus is looking at his disciples. And he looks at us too and he says, If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. Jesus has just given us the power to do something that only God can do. Have you ever thought about that? That is how powerful forgiveness is. When you forgive someone else, when you forgive yourself, you're doing what God does. By His permission, empowered by His Holy Spirit that lives inside you when you believe in Christ. That's amazing. And yet we don't do it so often. We need to practice doing it more. And then one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with them. Poor Thomas. He missed out on all of this. But do not fear, my friends. We'll hear the story of how Jesus came back so that Thomas didn't get left out. We'll look at that next Sunday. But today I want to end with a challenge. I want to challenge you to devote yourself to waiting and praying during this Easter tide season. Pentecost is on June the 5th. And so let's challenge ourselves to continue that Lenten idea of preparation, 
What is it that God wants you to do this summer? How does God want you to serve this summer? Pray about that and think about that over these next several weeks. And secondly, I want to challenge you to read the book of Acts during this season of Easter. The book of Acts tells the story of the disciples and the followers of Christians, the followers of Christ, what they did, how they embarked on the great mission of Christ after his resurrection, how they began to change the world. And you'll have plenty of time between now and Pentecost to read. All you've got to do is read one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, then take Saturday and Sunday off, and that will be 28 chapters before the day of Pentecost. So I encourage you to do that. Would you accept that challenge? I hope you will.